young people and our uh, children getting better and better at that, aren't they? They just keep getting better and better. Boy, we certainly enjoy that. That was a great job. All right. Well, let's go. We're going to do this. All right. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. After I wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met. Oh, what a tender, compassionate friend, he met the need of my heart. Shadow dispelling with joy, I am telling, he made all the darkness depart. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Now a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure, there in those mansions sublime. And it's because of that wonderful day when at the cross I believe. Riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I receive. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross the Savior made me whole. My sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. say those are times when you're glad there's no windows in the auditorium. Those things would be cracking. <laughs> Whew, that is up there. All right, take your Bible. Uh, well, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Let's do that. We're uh, dealing with our uh, series, this, uh, uh, with kind of a new area of our series. We're dealing with the Jew. We started last week dealing with that as we think about those uh, Bible truths and just some things that we can learn in the Word of God. We're talking about the Jew and Boy, that's an important subject today, and, and uh, it's always an important subject, really. They've had such a great contribution to uh, humanity and to the world, as we're going to see along the way. But again, Exodus chapter 3, verse 10, let's start there with just a simple verse. Again, uh, Moses is going to be sent to the children of Israel. Moses is going to be going into Egypt, and he's going to deliver a message, obviously, of deliverance. And so God tells him, he says, he says over there in verse 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So we know that the children of Israel are God's people. And we know that they descended, obviously, from Abraham. And Abraham was the first Jew. And so we have these Jews who are now a nation, and God is going to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And God's going to take good care of his people. And sadly enough, uh, when you look at the Jewish race, you look at the people of Israel, you realize that, man, there had to be some kind of supernatural hand involved. Because, let's face it, um, although they may have cried, crucify him, and they said, his blood be upon us and our children, and they did all of those things, and yet God continued uh, through these years to maintain his promise. Oh, yeah, they've been, a veil has been over their eyes lately, and they may not be able to see the Messiah as, uh, the way we have as a people. Now, I'm talking not as individuals, I'm talking about as a nation, but God hasn't given up on them, as we're going to see through our study. But back there in Egypt, he said, listen, I'm going to rescue my people. I'm going to take them out of bondage. I'm going to uh, uh, cease to, I'm going to continue to meet their need and provide for them and protect them. And in the wilderness, we see God doing just that. And they were a very stubborn people. They were a rebellious people. They were an idolatrous people. Uh, sound familiar? Sounds a lot like the church, doesn't it? You, you think I was going to say the world, didn't you? 
Sounds a lot like the church, though, in many ways, doesn't it? I mean, let's face it, we're not always obedient. We're not always uh, tenderhearted. We're not always, you know, uh, uh, following after the things of Christ. We in our own flesh, if we're not careful, we can get sidetracked too. And boy, I'll tell you what, God's people, whether it be the Jew or whether it be the church, uh, the living God, I mean, it can run into a mess when we allow this flesh to get a control of us. So the plight of the Jew is well-documented through the centuries, well-documented. And we know they paid an awful price for saying crucify him and ultimately saying his blood be upon us and our children. Boy, they paid an awful price. And yet it's amazing as we see the preservation of the Jewish race. It's, it's miraculous, really. And the only way to somehow uh, justify it or to uh, make it all work out is to simply know that God had a great work for them and he still has a great work for them ahead and that he's got a plan for them in the future. And so those, we said, that are trying to somehow state that God's done with the Jew and that the church has replaced the Jew, that's not true at all. God's still going to be dealing with the Jewish people. He's still going to be dealing with Israel. We see evidence of that throughout the Word of God. And so we took the time to talk about that just for a few minutes. And then we said, listen, there are some things that we... In the world, everyone should be grateful for the Jew about. And the Jewish race provided some things for the world and is truly a blessing to the world. And, and we've said three different ways. We only got through one of them, so we're going to continue tonight. But we said, first of all, that the Jewish race provided the world with monotheism. And, and, and we talked about that. You say, well, what's that again? Let me just remind you. It's basically stating that, th that there's one God. Just, I went one, but there's only one God. Okay, not two, but one, okay? Or this one. It, it doesn't matter, but I can't, okay, you got the picture. So there's one God. That's what they did. They affirmed and reaffirmed to the world that there's only one God. Hey, listen, in those days, way back there in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, we see that the nations of this world as a whole, they were, idolat they were idolatrous. I mean, they, they, they were pagans. I mean, they, they wanted nothing to do with one God. Matter of fact, they were, they were polytheist in many cases, many gods. And, and yet the Jew continued to say, listen, there's but one God. As a matter of fact, God ensured that they understood that when he gave them the law. He told them, thou shalt have no other gods before thee. He made it very clear, listen, this is the way it is. There is no other God but me. I'm the only God. And you can go ahead and bow down to whoever you choose, but I promise you, it ain't going to go well. And can I tell you, even in our day and age in which we live, we may not be bowing down to wood statues or carved a stone, but if we're not careful, we can bow down to other gods. And let me tell you, it doesn't go any better for us today than it did for them. Monotheism, for 2,000 years, from 1921 B.C. to A.D. 30, when Jesus Christ died on Calvary, there was no other people but the Jew that believed in the unity of God or taught it. The Jewish people introduced it, and they continued to promote it in the culture and around the world. The other cultures of the world simply served other gods, and that was just uh, the way it was. No Gentile nation untouched by the Jewish influence ever became monotheistic. The Jew had to impact their lives. They, they introduced monotheism, one God to the world. And so we noted that, and we talked about it. So what else? What else can we thank the Jew for? Because sometimes, uh, you know, Israel gets a bad rap. Sometimes, you know, we, we kinda, you know they, they, they dug their own hole, they made their own bed, they got to live in it, you know, that kind of mentality. You know, but let's, let's be honest. You know, just like in the Garden of Eden when Adam sinned, often we'd say, well, thanks a lot, Adam. You really messed it up for the rest of us. The truth is we'd mess it up too, wouldn't we? And you know what, who's to say what side of the fence you'd have fell on or I'd have fell on back then when Jesus was hanging on Calvary? Who's to say? Thankfully that even those, who, it was interesting, I had a great call this week, but, but I'm glad, and through this call, I, I got this idea, but aren't you glad that even if you cried crucify him that day, you could be saved the next? Isn't that wonderful? That's how forgiving our God is. That's how much grace plays a factor today. Thank God for the grace of God, that even at our worst, God's at his best always. 
We're certainly thankful for that. But what did they give us? What did they provide for the world? Well, we said monotheism, but number two, the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, they raised up, they, they were raised up as a race to provide the, the writers, the preservers of the scriptures, the transmitters of the Holy Scriptures. I mean, they were there. They, they did that. Look at, if you would, to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We're going to see that God makes sure we understand this and that we're aware of it. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now, there hasn't been a lot of good things happening to the Jewish people over the last couple thousand years. And again, when they said crucify him, and, and, and then they said, you know, let, let his blood be upon us and our children. I, I'm telling you, they've been paying the price a long time. It, we said 1948 is when they ultimately came back and became a state. Now, here they are today, and we talk about the nation of Israel, and they're gathered there now over there in Israel, but the fact is, is that God's not done with them yet. There's still more that are going to make their way there in the long run, and they're ultimately going to be a nation that God will address and deal with as he did even in the Old Testament. Once the church is taken out, God will begin to deal with Israel again in a very unique and special way. And we'll see that again as we move forward in our study. But, but let's look at this in Romans chapter 3. Before we look at Romans 3 verses 1 and 2, let's have a very quick word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless just these next few moments. Father, bless us, encourage us from your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Lord, I'm glad, Father, that you left your word for us. I'm glad that, Father, we can turn to it anytime we want and we can literally have your mind at our disposal. We can know exactly what you're thinking and what you want for us. We, we, we don't have to guess. We can simply turn to pages and read through your scriptures, and Lord, you'll reveal yourself to us, your truths to us, and your desires to us. Thank you, Father, for the blessed word of God. Now help us to glean from it and to grow from it today. Be glorified as we do this simple study on your people, the Jew. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, It's interesting, when I said that at the end of that prayer, it struck me, and I just want to make this clear. When you think sometimes we get this a little mixed up, you say, well, we're God's people too. We are, but we're called the bride of Christ. You know who the bride of Jehovah God is? The Jew or the Israel. Okay, so there is a distinction made in the Bible, okay? I'm not saying that Jesus isn't God. Don't misunderstand me. We can get into semantics all day and be all confused and all that, but the bottom line is, is that when we think about us as a people, we are the body of Christ. Yeah, we're God's people in that sense, but we're the bride of Christ. They're the bride of Jehovah God. And that's an interesting position to be in. And that's another reason why they're not us and we're not them. It's distinct. They're different. And boy, I'm glad that that's the case indeed. Uh, we're not going to go through the tribulation as we're going to see, but sadly enough, the Jew will. If they haven't trusted and received Christ as an individual, as a person, as a nation, they will go through the tribulation period. And so that's not a good place to be. I'm glad that I'm a Gentile today in the sense that I'm saved and born again on my way to heaven. If I was a Jew today, I'd want to be one of the Messianic ones. I'd want to be one of those Jews that trusted and received Christ and said, you know what? He is Messiah. And he is Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you what, I'm going to trust him today. Because you know what? There's still only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. I don't care what your faith is. It doesn't matter what your religion is. The truth is, is Jesus is still the only way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. And so we see here in Romans chapter 3, now you're there, but notice this, it, 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 we're going to see that to them were committed the oracles of God. Notice it says in verse 1 of chapter 3, what advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Notice again that the oracles of God were committed to them. Talking about the, the, the Jewish race, talking about th them as a nation, even as Israel, they were given the oracles of God. He says, man, I, I mean, what advantage is there? Much in every way, but chiefly, most importantly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Look at that word committed. That word committed according to Webster means delivered in trust, given in charge, deposited. You know what it's saying is? Is that God literally entrusted his word to them. 
He gave them charge of caring for and preserving it down through the centuries. God deposited the Word of God to the Jew for safekeeping. I don't know about you, but I've deposited some money in the bank. And boy, let me tell you, it's a lot. There's a ton of it in there. If you turned it all into pennies. <laughs> but the fact is, there's some money that I have that's in the bank. Maybe you, have a, uh, maybe you have a retirement fund or you've got a bank account and you've entrusted that money to the bank. You have deposited it in that bank. Now, I expect that that money is going to be there when I t- return to that bank to withdraw it. Now, you and I both know that's not always the case nowadays. You have to call at least two or three days ahead if you want any kind of money at all. You know, it's funny, banks don't carry any money, but they got yours. And they got mine, right? But the fact is, is that that money's been entrusted to them. We entrusted to them, we committed to them, and, and, and in this case, we deposit it to them for safekeeping. And you know, God entrusted his most precious gift to mankind into the hands of the Jew, expecting it to be meticulously transmitted and preserved. You say, wait a second, Jesus is much better. He was much more better of a gift. Hold on. The word and Jesus are the same. So we don't want to get into that semantic either. Let me tell you something. If you didn't have this word today, you wouldn't know anything about Jesus. Because there's nothing, nothing that would even point you to him without the word of God. You say, well, creation would. How did that work for him back then? Was that enough? Obviously not. God wanted more for us. So he provided us with Jesus Christ. The the creation alone, that's good. Conscience, that's fine. Let me tell you what. This book, it reveals the mind of God to us. It outlines for us everything God intends for us and everything God wants for us, everything that God expects of us. And it tells us about someone by the name of Jesus who was God in flesh. You know, I know that Jesus was God in flesh, Emmanuel, because the Bible tells me. You know, I know that God created the universe, because the Bible tells me. You know, I know that the blood is sufficient to pay for my sin and yours, the Bible tells me. If I didn't have this book, I wouldn't know any of those things, and neither would you. Boy, how precious of a book this is. And yet the Bible tells us, God's Word makes it clear that literally the Jewish people were entrusted, committed, and the Word of God was deposited into their watch care for protection and preservation. Every chapter, every book in the Bible was written by a Jew. It's got Jewish hands all over it. The Jews took special care to preserve the Scriptures even and to keep them from being tampered with. If it had not been for them, in a sense, God's word would have been lost a long time ago. Hold on, we'll get to it. Don't don't call me a heretic yet. We'll get to the point where God's involved. We will. But let me tell you something. He used the Jew. Hey, listen to this. When they copied the scriptures, just listen to some of this stuff. Again, these are some Jewish scribes, some of the practices of a Jewish scribe and creating copies of the Torah and eventually other books of the Old Testament. Listen to what they did. They could only use clean animal skins both to write on and even to bind scriptures. Each column of writing could have no less than 48, no more than 60 lines. The ink must be black and of a special recipe. They must verbalize each word aloud while they were writing. They must wipe the pen and wash their entire bodies before writing the word Jehovah every time they wrote it. What? That's crazy. Why don't they just get a a Mac or, you know, a computer and just type it up real fast? You're talking about people that were very concerned about accuracy here and about, think about how sacred the word was for them to wash their bodies every time before they wrote the word Jehovah. There must be a review within 30 days. And if, if as many as three pages required corrections, the entire manuscript had to be redone. The letters, the words, and paragraphs had to be counted. And the document must, uh, would became invalid if two letters touched each other. The middle paragraph, word, and letter must correspond to those of the original document. 
The documents could be stored only in sacred places, for instance, the synagogue or maybe just some other sacred place that they designated. No document containing God's Word could be destroyed. How many of you have a hard time getting rid of a Bible? Isn't that hard? I don't know about you, but I, I don't know if I can do it. I leave it out in the bus area so let one of the bus kids destroy it because I can't do it. <laughs> or maybe one of your kids are doing it. That's probably more true, isn't it? Look, another Bible. Oh, okay, so anyway. But I mean, honestly, think about that. How many times have you taken your Bible and said, you know what, it's time to get rid of it. I'll just throw it away. I don't know, maybe you can. I just have never been able to do that. I've never been able to take my Bible and throw it in a trash can. I just can't do it. Can't do it. Got about 20 of them piled up. No, <laughs> you know how that goes. You try to give them away then, right? You know, I know some preachers keep every Bible they have because they put so many notes in theirs. I don't put notes in my Bible, really, so it doesn't matter to me. I can give them away. The problem is the covers fall off of them. You know how that goes. Or the pages start falling out of the middle. You get that going, too? Yeah, I know. They don't make Bibles like they used to. You used to recover your Bibles. You don't recover Bibles anymore. They're too, it's too expensive, right? It's cheaper just to go out and buy a brand new one. It's kind of like a watch. You know what I'm saying? Seems that way to me, at least. We got so many Bibles in America. I wonder how much reading we're doing, though. So just think about the, how meticulous they were about the Word of God. And then let's think about how meticulous we are. I mean, they washed their bodies before they would write Jehovah. We read through it like nothing. I mean, how sacred is the Word of God to you and me today? I know that's not proper English. It should have been you and I. Some of you caught me, didn't you? Most of you are going, what are you talking about? But anyway... How sacred is it to us? Man, we have a precious book. By the, it's called the Word of God. Man, it's so unbelievable. And you know, honestly, in my lifetime, I have neglected the Bible way too much. Way too much. Isn't that sad coming from a preacher? I think that most of us will probably get to heaven one day and realize that we did, huh? Because listen, let's face it. This book is a copy that you hold in your hand. Someone says, yeah, we got to go back to those originals. Yeah, well, you know what they were? Copies of the one that's in heaven. Yeah. Never been a man in the world that's held the original. Except Jesus Christ, God-man. And he is the word. But how precious should this book be to us? God, the Bible tells us, uh, God in the Bible tells us that he committed to the Jewish people the oracles of God, the oracles of God. Turn, if you would, now to Psalms chapter 12, because we need the balance of this, don't we? We've got to kind of get the balance, because the truth is, is that, okay, at this point, I'm really leaning heavy on the Jewish people and saying, wow, if it wasn't for the Jewish people, you and I wouldn't have the word of God, but, well, if you know your Bible, you, you already been here where I'm going, but you know that in reality, no human being is going to truly preserve the Word of God. It has to be supernaturally preserved. The only one that can possibly do that is who? God himself. And so let's look at this, because this is really good. Psalm chapter 12, look what it says in verse 6. It says, the words of the Lord are pure words. Man, isn't that wonderful? As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Thou shalt do that. The psalmist recognized and understood that if the word of God was going to be preserved over the course of history, it would have to require a supernatural touch and the supernatural being God. Yes, indeed, he, I mean, I think about, I think about how uh, God used mankind to pen the Bible. They were simply instruments in his hand. But he also used the Jewish people to preserve the word of God through those years, those centuries. 
I wonder, you know, the Bible says, when Christ returns, will he find faith on the earth? And, and you know, our first response is, of course he will. And, you know, that's, I, I, I truly hope he does. But, you know, the only one that can guarantee that is you. Because if you don't remain faithful, then maybe nobody will. But if you do, then you know he'll find faith if he returns, if you're still here. See, a lot of times we look around and we try to say, well, there'll be a lot of people. Well, what about me? See, it's really about me and God, isn't it? Isn't it? It's about you and God. And, and we want to make sure that there used to be a show, and I don't know if it's still on, it used to be called The Weakest Link. I can't remember how it went, but I know the name sure stuck with me. I would hate to be the weakest link in the spiritual chain, wouldn't you? So he entrusted this to the Jewish people, and even as God used human instruments to pen the word of God, he also used human instruments to preserve it. Man, what a wonderful truth. What part will you and I play to ensure that the next generation has the unadulterated word of God? Boy, the pressure's on today. The pressure's on to change everything. You know, not only to change the principles and the precepts, not only to change how God is reflected in the scriptures and how mankind is viewed and all of those things, but the very word of God itself is being changed. How dangerous is that? It's so dangerous, isn't it? But you and I are believers. We can choose to say, listen, I've got a word that's perfect and it's without error and I'm going to stick with it and I'm going to promote it and I'm going to propagate it. I'm going to tell my children about it and I'm going to tell everybody I can that Jesus Christ is alive and he is able to save and that that book is his precious, perfect word. Well, we got to stand for him in the word. So we see here that the Jewish, uh, the, the Jew, he's responsible for providing the world with monotheism and, and the word of God. And number three, finally, for the Savior, the Messiah. I mean, this interesting thing. I mean, the Jewish race was raised up so that God through them might give the world a Savior. Who was Jesus? He was a Jew. Now, I know it's, it's tough. You know, you got pictures, you know, of a European white Jesus. I, I know that. I, I know that. I see that. But can I tell you, he was a Jew. If his skin ain't looking like a Jew's, then that is not an accurate depiction. And can I tell you, there's no, not a person on this earth that can show you an accurate depiction of who Jesus was. No one. Matter of fact, I think it's almost, I, I think it's blasphemous to try to. I really do. I, I just think there's no way we can really, I, one day we will see him face to face. Until then, it's all mere speculation. He was a Jew. He wasn't an American, like this American, European American. He wasn't a black American. He's a Jew. I mean, what, what, why do we have to argue about things that the Bible's really clear on? I can claim him as my Savior, but he's not part of my race. But he is. I am in the family. I'm glad I'm in the family. It's interesting to note how carefully the Bible preserves his genealogy from Adam right to his birth at Bethlehem. Why? Because it's going to show us these genealogies take us all the way through, again, uh, uh, genealogies of the Jewish people right on up to Jesus Christ. Here he is, and there's where he came from. It's amazing how it does that. His ancestry, his identity are preserved in those genealogies. And you see them in the genealogies of Joseph and of Mary. Look, if you would, in Matthew chapter 1. First of all, we're going to see Joseph's genealogy, Matthew chapter 1. And we're not going to read it all because it could take a while. It's not that long, but still, it, it, it could take a little while. But in Matthew chapter 1, what you find is, 
And if, if you have a Bible that maybe has little titles or tops to it, sometimes it'll say, you know, uh, that this is the, a genealogy or whatever. But this is Joseph's genealogy. And what it's going to show us is it's going to show us his genealogy through, of course, David. We know King David. We know that, that, that that's where the, the Messiah would come through, through the, the line of David, the Judah and all of that. And we see that Solomon is in the line of David. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But we have here in Matthew Joseph's genealogy, and it goes all the way back, and you can see it way back there. This is the book of generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Look at how far back he's going. And then he's going to go ahead and start reading right on through some things. And he's going to give you his genealogy, walking you right on through where Christ came from, what literally uh, people he came from, who is grandparents were, great-grandparents were, and all of that good stuff. And then in Luke, don't turn there, but in Luke we see Mary's genealogy. Luke chapter 3. And we're going to see that genealogy all the way back to David as well. And we're going to note something here in just a minute. So there's two different genealogies. One here in the book of Matthew that addresses and deals with Joseph's. We see another one in Luke chapter 3, addresses and deals with Mary's. And what we're going to find is that it shows Joseph's genealogy in Matthew through David's son Solomon, who was the kingly heir. But then we're going to see Mary's genealogy, and it shows us Mary's genealogy through David's son Nathan, who was the legal heir of the throne. Now this is all important. Why? Because Joseph was a descendant of David through the kingly line of Solomon, but there was a problem with that line. Look, look if you would now in Matthew 1, verse 11. It says, And Josias begat Jeconius and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconius begat Sayathiel, and Sayathiel begat Zerubbabel. And that would be Zerubbabel. But nonetheless, we see that there, and, and you say, what's the big deal? Well, in Jeremiah chapter 22, let's turn there now. Go backwards to Jeremiah 22. We're going to read about this particular fellow by the name of Jeconius. He's going to be referred to as Konii. Notice what it says about him. And this is interesting because it's going to really help us understand how specific the Lord God and how he guarded the throne uh, ultimately of David and enabled Christ to be the only one who could truly take his place on that throne. Watch what happens here in Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 22, and we're going to look at verses 24, start in verse 24. It says here in the passage, it says, As I live, saith the Lord, though, uh, though Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my ring hand, my right hand, yet would I pluck thee thence. What's he saying? If, if he was literally, uh, if he was the ring on my finger, I'd throw him away. Whoa, that's pretty rough. Notice verse 25. And I will give thee into the hand of them that seek thy life and into the hand of them whose face thou fearest, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. And I will cast thee out and thy mother that bare thee into another country where, uh, where ye were not born, and there shall ye die. But to the land whereabout, whereunto they desire to return, thither shall they not return. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper, sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Wow. Wait a second. But isn't Coniah... And his, it, he is the same guy. We can match him up to Jaconius in Matthew 1. Isn't he someone that's in the line, the Messianic line? Sure seems that way. It's right there in the uh, uh, jo Joseph's genealogy in Matthew. We read about him there. 
So how's this possible? The Bible makes it pretty clear that according to the prophecy that Joseph could not possibly be the natural father of Jesus then because his descendant, Coney, could never sit on the throne of David and prosper. Nobody from his line could. They can't sit on the throne and prosper. Well, we know Jesus is going to prosper. So how in the world is that going to work? Well, the, world, the Word of God also points out that there's going to be someone on the throne of David but he'll not be a descendant in the line of Jeconia. He goes on to say in Jeremiah 33, 17, For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. Now we have God here that's telling us here, the Lord's making it clear, that this Coniah, he can't possibly put his seed there. He can't prosper on the throne. But on the other hand, we have prophecies that say, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. How do we get around all that mess then? Well, the solution was the virgin birth. The solution was marrying Mary. The virgin birth and a union with Mary. You say, well, how's that work? Well, Jesus, by birth, was heir to the throne through Mary, his mother who was a descendant, by the way, of Nathan, who was the legal heir to David. Now, I know this is very confusing, but in Luke, we read about Mary's genealogy, and she comes through a line from Nathan. So you have here, you've got David, the king. He has a couple sons, right? Nathan, his eldest, who should have been the legal heir to the throne, but you have Solomon, who is ultimately the kingly heir. He's placed on the throne instead of Nathan here. So now we have Solomon and his line going all the way through king after king after king after king. Mary's coming through Nathan and his descendants. Joseph's coming through Solomon and his descendants. But in the midst of Solomon's descendants, we have this king, Coniah, or Jeconiah, who is so wicked and so evil that God says, listen, he will never, no one from his family will sit on the throne and prosper. That's not going to happen. But then on the other hand, he says, but, oh, David, David's house will be fine. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Because he goes on to say again, he'll never want a man for a man to sit upon the throne. He will have one. Well, how's that work out? Well, here it is then. So you've got David again, and you've got Solomon. Well, let's start with Solomon. He was back here. He runs into Coniah. Well, that's done. That's finished. So Joseph, he can't have a child sit on the throne. Not a natural born one. Or it would break the prophecy. But Mary's from the line of Nathan, who is the legal heir. And down through the years, we come along here, and now daddy, her daddy here, heel, Hiel, however you want to say it, he's there and he has Mary. So what's the solution? Joseph marries Mary, who conceives a child of the Holy Ghost. So therefore, his seed, Joseph's, has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But Mary, who is the legal heir, carries through with the legal heir, here she is having a son. So what we find then is simply this. What may appear to be a discrepancy or contradiction as to who Joseph's father really is, uh-uh, it's God. Because it couldn't have been Joseph or he wouldn't have been able to rule and reign on the throne because of the prophecy of Coniah. But God worked it out when he married Mary who had a legal right to the throne. That line had a legal right and the two of them got together and Joseph and Mary now are a couple. Jesus doesn't have one ounce of of Joseph's blood running through his veins. Not one ounce. Not one. But he does have his mama Mary, who has a right to the throne through the line of Nathan. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Therefore, Jesus was both the heir to the throne of David by both Solomon the king, kingly heir, and Nathan the legal heir. By both, really. So Jesus' virgin birth, though, is also confirmed 
in the genealogies of his parents. It's interesting. Look at Matthew again. I have you still, I believe, uh, well, you're Jeremiah now, but turn back to Matthew chapter 1. Look at this, the phrasing here. Look at how this turns out. We'll, we'll read a couple verses, but notice how important it is and how God ensures that there's no question that Joseph was not the dad to Jesus. He was a father to him, but he was not a biological father. I, I don't know about you, and I'm just going to say this, okay? You do whatever you want with it. I'm going to be frank with you. I believe that we do a very grave disservice in our culture and our country today when people enter into marriage and they do not look at their children as their children. We have so much, there's so much divorce and there's blending of families, and it happens. It is reality, and that's life. Listen, those children are just as, if you can't get married and trust your spouse to be a, a, a mother or father to your child, don't marry them. I don't think Joseph went around going, I don't think Mary went around going, you can't discipline little Jesus because he's my kid, not yours. I don't believe that that would have ever been said in that home. Now listen to what I'm telling you. It happens. It happens in homes all the time. Don't let it happen in yours if you have that situation. Don't let it. Make up your mind. These are our kids. And guess what, kids? You're never going to divide mama and papa. That's just the way it is, buster. You better toe the line because if that's what she or he said, that's what it is. You ain't dividing us. We're in this together. Long after you're gone, I'll have to put up with that. So I'm dealing with you now because I'll be dealing with that the rest of my life. And I ain't getting rid of, that ain't going away, but you are. You, you, you know where I'm going with that, right? I'm not even trying to be nasty or anything, you know. I mean, when I say that, you know, that didn't sound good. My wife shaking her head, that didn't sound good, did it, honey? As my dad would say, did that come out right? <laughs> no, it didn't, did it, dad? Okay. So be careful with that. I think that's important, and, and I just think it's, it's a principle that we need to address and deal with because we see a lot of it. It divides homes a lot, but I don't think it's there. So nonetheless, look at what happens here. That's, that, wasn't, that, was, that wasn't extra, that was free. Matthew chapter 1. Now look at what happens here in Matthew 1, verse 16. The Bible says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Jacob begat Joseph. Now, Matthew is Joseph's lineage, okay? And it's saying here that Jacob was his dad. Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus. Mary's, it's who it's talking about. Of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Now, notice this. According to Luke, now, turn, turn to Luke chapter 3, verse 23 now. Luke chapter 3, verse 23. We're going to see Mary's genealogy now. And this is kind of, at first glance again, there seems to be a discrepancy again or a contradiction as to who Joseph's father is. And people like to get all bent out of shape about it. Oh, look, the Bible's got a contradiction in it. Not really, but, but listen how this works. Watch it real quickly. Luke 3, 23, And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. First of all, I like that. As was supposed. What's that mean? Thought to be. Thought to be the son of Joseph. God makes sure he, he throws that in there, right? Supposed to be, thought to be the son of... So there was a lot of people who thought he was the father. The, 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 you know, you go into town, nobody, you know, we're not... Well, you know, uh, I had Jesus and uh, had no earthly father. And they're like, you're nuts. Throw her in a rubber room. So I'm sure that she probably didn't just go around telling everybody that every other day. And there was people that supposed that Joseph was his daddy. You ever get nervous at a gas station when the Holy Spirit tells you to hand a track out? I wonder if she ever got nervous about telling her story about Jesus. I bet you she did. She was just human. 
But anyway, I just don't want us to be too hard on her. But notice what it says here. It keeps going. And Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age as being was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Heli. Wait a second. In Matthew, Joseph's genealogy, it says that Jacob is his dad, that Jacob begat Joseph. So how is in the world is it that he is the son of Heli? I mean, this is, this is Mary's genealogy now. And I think it's important to note this because some might say, well, that's a discrepancy, that's a contradiction. But here's really the simple answer to it. Although Mary's lineage is recorded in Luke, doesn't mention, it doesn't mention Mary, does it? And can I tell you that that is to be expected? Because women often were not mentioned in genealogies. That's not uncommon with these genealogies. If you look in the Bible and you see the genealogies, it's rare, if ever, that you're going to find that. That's very unusual. So this is not unusual at all. As a matter of fact, it's quite normal. It was pretty much standard practice not to do so. But Joseph was part of the family now. I wonder, what do a lot of people call their in-laws? Mom, dad? He was placed in this lineage because he's now part of the family. And listen, he is now the son of Heli. Can I tell you, before you let someone in your home, I'm, I'm talking about before you let somebody marry your daughter, remember, they're going to be part of the family. Hi, Dad. You better make sure that they're the kind of person you want to call you Daddy. You know what? We stopped being honest with our kids a long time ago, didn't we? You want to know why? Can I tell you why? Because they're going to make up their own minds anyway. There's no reason to cuff sever the ties. They're going to do what they're going to do anyway, so why tell them? Oh, Dad, do you, what do you think about this guy? Well, you know, what do you think? Oh, I like him. I think he's great. Well, you know, just be careful. And if you don't think he's the right guy, you better spill the beans. You better speak up, sir, because that's the last chance you're going to get because once she says I do to that guy, you aren't her authority at all. He is. And you say, yeah, well, he's a jerk. I don't care if he's a jerk or not. You let it happen because you had the authority to say no. You say, no, I didn't. Oh, according to the Bible, you did. Hold on. I know that's a rough one. Hey, listen, how many dads have run into a problem with that? It happens all the time. And sometimes you think they're just going to run off and get married anyway. And if they do, they do. But they'll know where you stood. They'll never be able to come back and say, well, if you'd only told me the truth, if you'd only told me, I would have done it. I wouldn't be in this mess. Don't ever be put in that spot. That's all I'm saying. And you know what? If you have any relationship with your daughter or son, They'll be able to take it. They may not like it, and they may be ticked off even for a while, and they may get all bent out of shape, but you know what they'll do? They'll come back to mom and dad. You got any kind of relationship, it'll be okay. It'll work out. But what I don't want, I'm not even going there. This isn't family conference. That's coming up, right? Better hope I don't get that topic. But anyway, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So anyway, we, we, I'm getting off course here, yes, and we need to close because it's time is over. But boy, I'll tell you what, Joseph was not Jesus' daddy. God carefully and very specifically made sure that it was clear that, he, that Jesus wasn't his son, at least not biologically. Man, I mean to tell you, God preserved this pathway all the way through, and the, the Jews, all the way through, we got way back there and, and the kings, and we can go all the way back to Adam, and we go follow all the way through to Abraham, where then all of a sudden the Jewish race comes forth, and boom, all the way through, Jesus can be traced all the way through that genealogy, all the way back to Abraham, and the truth is all the way back to Adam even. It's a wonderful thing how God did that and made that happen. 
You ever wonder why they had that, um, and just throw this in, but you ever wonder why that Joseph had to go back to Bethlehem and, and the census was taking place? You ever think about the census that took place? Why in the world did Joseph have to carry old Mary all the way back to Bethlehem? Do you know what happened there? They were dealing with their genealogies. You know when those genealogies got lost? 70 A.D., when the temple was burned down. Since 70 A.D., there's never been, there's never been a complete record of those genealogies, except in the Word of God. You have to have this book to know who Jesus even is. You can't trace his lineage back without the book, not at least completely back. And that's why an antichrist will show up on the scene and be able to point back and say, I am of the lineage of, and they will not have perfect records, and he will be able to fly under the radar. We have a perfect record. We thank the Lord for it. It's called the Word of God. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you, Lord, for the book, for the Word of God. Thank you so much for all you mean to us. Lord, I'm thankful, Father, for the Jewish people. I'm thankful, Father, for just uh, the nation of Israel. And Lord, just that they provided for us so many things, Lord, as a people. Uh, just, we think of monotheism. They, they, we think about the Word of God. We consider the Savior, the Messiah. Thank you that you used them to do so. And as a result, they've paid a good price. They've had to be, they've been persecuted. They've endured great hardship, all to bring you to us. And we thank you, Father, for just how you used them. And Lord, we just ask now that you'd help us to be appreciative of all you've done for us. May we never take you for granted. May we never, Father, look contemptibly upon the word, Lord. May we just always embrace it and love it and receive it unto ourselves. May we not look at it as the enemy. May we, Father, always see you and your word, Father, as truly a blessing in our lives. We love you. We thank you for all you've done for us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.